coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. One of the interesting things is like, if you want to play niche or you want to really serve the customer well, price point is important. And I generally don't want to be a low cost provider. So things that we do sell in the consumer packaged goods and that we've made ourselves, we actually try and be at a higher price point. We're not looking to be the low cost provider. We want you to have a positive experience. We want to say that the ingredients are better or however we made it, our, our process is better. And therefore that speaks to our avatar. And then at the same time, I will say like when even looking at the arbitrage markets, when you stay high end, you generally keep people out because what tends to happen is like, if I say to you, okay, you can spend $10 and make $10, right? So it's an ROI of hundred percent. Sounds pretty yeah. sexy. Yeah. But if I tell you like, it's going to cost you a hundred dollars, but you're going to make $50. You're like, that's yeah, a 50% ROI, but I only have to sell one versus you selling five, right? Because I'm making $50 on the hundred. Yeah. I'm actually making more cash. Now, granted for me, I have to come up with a hundred dollars of, for my cost of goods, but it's going to, it's going to keep the low end guy out because it's going to be pretty prohi prohibitive because he can only buy one for his hundred dollars versus buying 10. He's more attracted to this shiny object of hundred percent ROI and get 10 of them. And I'm like, okay, listen, if I can, if I can make 50 bucks a pop, I don't care because yeah. I can. I only have to sell a couple of these, and I'm going to outpace you, type of thing. So that that's one. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Past the Secret Sauce, we have Arian Scheinbend, who is the principal of Organization Results Advisory. So Arian has a great business mind. He's been capitalizing on this pretty well his entire life. We got into some of the businesses that he was doing and some of the ways that he was making money at a very, very early age. But today he helps consult people who may have their own products or may be interested in creating their own products and how to position them in the right market. So we get into all types of different things about you know how to create a brand and how to structure or how to present your brand and where to position your brand in a marketplace and where to sell the brand or sell the, the products. Really, really interesting. So, you know, if if you're looking to get into business, if you're looking for a way to be able to enhance your brand or uh, create a a different uh, feeling around your brand, this is going to be an episode that you're not going to want to miss. And again, we get into all types of different uh, conversations as to you know how to position yourself as uh, a more of a a higher end product, how to get into new markets or how to identify new markets, all kinds of different topics, where to sell different things and how to identify if those things, you know, have a good chance of success. Again, really, really interesting. A lot of different nuances to this episode. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. So my dinner 
dinner table growing up was, so I am, I'm one of three. So I have two sisters smack in the middle and my mother and father, we always had dinner together. Actually, I would say almost like come hell or high water type of thing, but more or less it was every night. And I remember it was generally about 6.30, maybe 6.45 or so. My father was an executive at a, uh, a large uh, Fortune 500 company, and he was always home, you know, right on time. And um, we would kind of like, it wasn't like, hey, how was your day? Talk through every little detail, but it was like, you know, what's going on type of thing. But everybody was there. And it was very much a household of this is what's for dinner. And this is what you're eating. <laughs> like it, like it or not, yep, you know? Yep. So it's very family oriented, but at the same time, it wasn't like, okay, every night we had a, a set question that we had to answer or anything like that, but it was organized from this perspective of we set the table, the kids set the table before my father came home. I would, I guess I would call it almost like a little bit old school, traditional uh, type mm -hmm. of dinner table. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, you made me think of something and I, I, I actually haven't ever made this correlation before, but you're the middle child, right? Do you have any other siblings that are also business owners or anything like that out of curiosity? No, you the, I don't. You're, I the, am... you're the lone child. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just was curious. I, I, I hadn't, uh, I had never you know, thought of asking the question, you know, in the, uh, the sibling order, you know, with some past guests. So I just, just was curious. So. I always tell, it's funny. Cause like most people who know me and meet me, they're like, you don't have standard middle child syndrome type of things. And I always tell people that like, it's kind of because like I have an older sister. So she was always the oldest. Then I have a younger sister. So she was like the baby and I was the only boy. So okay. a lot of, you know, my wife always jokes that like, I'm the baby boy. Yeah. And so like, we each had our own thing that made us like individualized as opposed to like having this, you know, middle child, this or that or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And did you have any entrepreneurial influences growing up or, you know, were, were you even, you know, selling candy or doing anything on, on your own when you were a kid? I was, but I didn't realize it. So I did, I did sell candy and then I got really into, like, I liked playing sports, but I also got really into sports cards as a market. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I used to, Back then, the price guides were not Backets. digital. Yeah, back yeah. Then. so it was right. before the internet. Like you can get it on the you know drop of a dime, and um, so I would kind of follow the players, and based on how they were playing, especially like up and coming rookies, if they were getting hot, I would buy them before the next Beckett would come out. Ah, uh, interesting. And kind of like buy into the arbitrage type of thing. Yeah. Um, and by the, and so I would go to show, my dad would take me to like these card shows, you know, you go around the tables in these hotel rooms or whatever it was. Yeah. But by the time I was 15, I actually was on the other side of the table. I already was selling on, um, you know, showcasing my stuff and, and selling at tables. So I didn't realize it then because I guess it was such, I was, I grew up and it was like, Hey, you go to college, you get a good job and you do the thing. And, and that's what I did. But you know, now given what we have in the internet and all these things, it's it's like a different feel, but I, I definitely had it and I just didn't fully realize it, I guess, at yeah. the time. I, I I think you're the first person. I've, I don't know why I never thought of that correlation. I used to collect cards too, but I never thought of looking to see who is actually doing well and then trying to, 
you know, get those cards before, you know, the next month, you know, cause it, you basically had a month in between yeah. brackets, right. You know, yeah, basically. So, so I never, I never thought of that. That is so funny. That's, yeah, that's great. It was, it was like my arbitrage and, yeah. um, and it's funny. Cause like a lot of the businesses I started, started out as like arbitrage type of businesses, seeing like mm-hmm. a discrepancy in a, in, in the marketplace. Cause even when I started getting online, I actually, the first thing I did is I went back to sports cards and I saw the gap between the physical stores, what the brick and mortars were charging, yeah. what eBay was charging, and what at the time, what Yahoo Auctions, which was probably the second biggest platform, was charging. And there was there was margin just in between those three markets that I was able to kind of like uh, make money on as well. So, so would you buy it on you know the, the cheap market, sell it on the expensive market then? Yeah, yeah, yeah more or less. Very cool. yeah, yeah, very, very cool. So you mentioned you you started a couple other business. Well, actually, let's before we get into that. Sure. Um, did you did you go to college? Did you do that yeah. typical thing? I see yeah. the whole college yeah. thing. I, I did the college thing, and I still to this day have a day job as well. Okay. okay. So I did the college thing. I did. I I, I fully in high school. I fully intended to be a lawyer, and so mm-hmm. I was going. You know, freshman year, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be pre law. And one of my professors, you know, was talking to me, and he had gone to law school at Columbia University. And he said, why do you want to be a lawyer? And I'm like, well, you know, on TV and the movies, they litigate and they find, you know, they find the loophole and they, and they, and he goes, you're going to hate being a lawyer. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, he says, it's a lot of reading documents. It's a lot of mundane, repetitive things. And you're never going to see the inside of a courtroom. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And so I started to research this. <laughs> I was like, wait, why didn't anybody tell me this? Yeah. yeah everybody <laughs> told me I'm going to be a great lawyer. What's the, what's going on? And ultimately I pivoted freshman year to, to a business and finance degree. Business came very naturally to me. And again, I didn't realize it with the cards. I also had like a bunch of business ideas. I would tell like some people in the neighborhood who were either wealthy or in real estate, I would tell them like different things that ultimately had people executed, it would have done really, really well. Yeah. And one of them actually said, you know, I think you should get like an MBA. But again, that was like the whole college thing, right? So I got I got a finance undergrad degree. I went to Wall Street, did investment banking at JP Morgan. Then I did a bunch of like early stage venture and private equity investing and then spent the majority of my, my career inside hedge funds or private equity firms, mm-hmm. investing in or buying businesses and improving the businesses. But really from the get-go, like literally from like day job number one, I started online because I just saw like these opportunities to do things that I really enjoyed, including like getting back into sports cards and things of that nature. So yeah. it, it, I still have multiple businesses and I still have my day job now. I'm, a, I, I'm at a consulting firm where I consult for private equity firms and hedge funds um, okay. in terms of valuing businesses, valuing investments and things of that nature. But I, to, to my core, like I just really like business. Yeah, that, I love that. I love that. So, so what are some of the other businesses that you've started? You know, some of these other, I guess, are, are they all arbitrage? Are they all no, online? Or? They, most of them are online, but they're not all arbitrage uh, anymore, especially. So what actually happened was when I first got into the arbitrage, it, it wasn't, nobody called it that. It was really yeah. just like, I was finding like opportunities in the marketplace, let's call it. What ultimately that led to was starting to, I was selling e-commerce physical products. And part of it really, part of the draw for me was I could have my day job and I wouldn't be a face forward marketer, right? Like I wouldn't have to market myself. I wouldn't have to market anything because I could stay behind, let's call it the wall for my job and no one would know. And I could kind of have these businesses. So e-commerce allowed me to study the data 
look at trends and different things like that and, and see opportunities. So I would actually buy the inventory and take ownership of it. And I started getting into wholesale and I was buying wholesale. And then I moved into having exclusive relationships with manufacturers or distributors okay. to sell as Amazon grew. I started again, it started on Amazon as I moved away from sports cards and I was getting into all different things. Amazon only allowed you like books and DVDs and things like that. So back then, again, like in the early 2000s, I was selling uh, Disney DVDs mm-hmm. because before Disney plus you uh, had a small window where you could actually buy like the princess DVDs or Lion yeah. King or something. They would come out for like a 90 day window or 60 day window. And then they would put it back in the vault and you couldn't buy it. So during that window, I would just basically go out and buy them all and sit on them. Sometimes yeah. I had to sit on them for almost a year, but yeah. I would sell them at like three X their price, yeah, you know, back in the vault. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Supply drew, you know, dried up. And then, uh, I yeah. had the, you know, <laughs> the demand was there and I was the only one with supply. And whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately now, you know, as I got into more and more wholesale, we got into making our own products. So we have our own line of products and we kind of play in the niches a little bit mm-hmm. where, you know, I have, I have a partner on one business because obviously I don't have the, the full time to dedicate, but a lot of it is like data analytics can tell you exactly where you want to go. And once you know your avatar and you, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a couple of those Amazon led to having a couple of service businesses related to either Amazon or Amazon related things, because there's just like a whole slew of things, whether it's the advertising side or the administrative side. And so I've built up different things um, and had either different partners or people operating a lot of these mm-hmm. components. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, another you know, digital course product where I partnered with a few really great marketing pe- people who really teach people how to build businesses. Uh, her name is Julie Stoyan. She runs a, a software company called Funnel Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they had like a lot of people who really needed to just know basic personal financing, investing and like that. So we created a, a course called Future Fund. So yeah, I, I'd say like that encompasses most of the things. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I don't know if you want to get into any of the niches that you're, you're in uh, or any of the products, but you mentioned that you were going down the, the path of, of, you know, wholesaling these products. And, and you mentioned that, that, you know, you, you do the research or you have someone do the research, one of your partners do the research on what, what type of the emerging markets, you know, are, are starting to come, you know, getting to be popular. Do you have any insights into, you know, how to identify what those, what those markets are, or is that something that, you know, basically your partners pretty well had already, you know, had, had all done all of that research and all of that, you know, that type of, you know, evaluation of different verticals or what have you. So when I started, I didn't have a partner. I started on my own. And I was doing a ton of research on my own. And now like there's so many tools out there that didn't, like when I started, like in 2011, when Amazon created FBA fulfillment by Amazon, basically Mm -hmm. you find the product, you buy the product, you get it to them, they handle all the fulfillment, right? So you see the blue check mark for Prime. A lot of people don't even realize that it's not even necessarily Amazon who is the retailer, they are the fulfiller. And so when, when I was when I started, like I was doing all the research myself and I was doing all these things and we partnered up because we were playing in some of the same niches. And I was part of a bunch of seller groups and one seller said, Oh, I have this problem. And I knew exactly what their problem was. Cause I had gone through it like a year yeah. or so earlier. And I said, Oh, I have the solution. And as soon as I, I helped them with it, it just, I don't know. It was it. My, my philosophy in general is like, give, 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 give. And eventually it'll come back around type of thing, you know? And so that was, that was how our partnership started. And So even to this day, I think there's two different things out there in thinking about, like if someone's listening and saying, hey, I really want to get into the physical product space or I want to do that kind of thing. 
Amazon, you have to think about Amazon is it's a sales channel, right? Like don't think of it as a Amazon business, quote unquote, because there are Amazon businesses out there. And actually yesterday in the news, Thrasio, which is probably like the biggest, let's call it roll up aggregator of brands. They just raised another billion dollars at a $10 billion valuation. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. So we're not going to get into that, but (laughs) that aside, you can sell a, an Amazon business, but if you, if you are like in buying wholesale and just reselling it, I call those uh, cash flow businesses. Mm-hmm. So they generate cash flow and they generate positive cash flow and they and you can make a lot of money, but you don't really have a core asset per se True. in the sense yeah. that like if the manufacturer cuts you off or Amazon shuts you down or who knows what, right? Like you're, you're a little bit at, you know, the beck and call of other people. And if you build a brand though, and Amazon is just viewed in your mind as a sales channel, whether it's Shopify as your sales channel, i.e. your website or Amazon, ultimately you have a business that is much stronger that someone would buy. And so the way I think about it is if, if when people come to me, cause like I'm, I'm like a mentor in, in different places and they're like, Hey, I want to do this Amazon stuff. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to cash flow and just like make some money? Or do you truly want to build a business? Because if you really want to build a business, like you start not with the product, whoops, you start with not with the product, but you start more with the avatar. Who is the user? Who is your buyer? Like think of that person as a real person and think about like, Hey, how can I serve that person? What problem am I solving for them? And that product that you're going to create and sell is going to do that. If you're just like studying the data and says, okay, this um, Amazon product, it's clear that based on the data, I can sell high velocity of this item. Then you have a whole different, you know, let's call it business model. But I I think of that as much more of like a cash flow. You know, you're not necessarily building a business. So depending on what you want to do, I can direct you more one way or another. Got it. Got it. And and when you are looking at, do I want to create a business or do I do I want to you know just have cash flow basically? So you know, do I want to create a brand or do I not want to create a brand? Yeah. What types of you know check boxes do you have to check off that you know yes this is the better way to go and and this is what's going to be involved you know with that you know obviously you know everyone's going to think oh, I need a domain name then I'm going to need a website I'm going to need a logo and obviously you know some type of a catchy name you have to do all of those types of things. But I, I guess the question is, is uh, you know, how, is, is there any reason why you shouldn't go down the path of creating a brand and just go for the cash flow? Is there, are there situations where, you know, that might be the better choice than what the, you know, the brand choice, you know, might be? Yeah, no, to- totally. So, so I think obviously it depends on the person, depends on their, their capital, uh, uh, like in terms of how much capital they have today to, to mm-hmm. deploy. Because one of the, I think the most underestimated things about physical product businesses is the capital intensiveness of it in the sense that like you are on an almost an ongoing basis, you are reinvesting money back into yeah. the inventory, right? So yeah. an inventory space business just has that need. So I kind of, the way I, I think about it is like, if you're at like ground zero and you have no money, you may want to start with the cash flow just to build your bank account so that you can start the brand yeah. and you can, you can build a brand truly on Amazon without, without actually having to like, think about like, oh my God, my website, like these things can come later. There are ways to drive traffic to your website later. There's ways to get your customer. So, so the issue with Amazon in the sense of if I sell on Amazon as a sales channel, Amazon takes the payment. Amazon has the, it's Amazon's customer, right? Yeah. I'm I'm delivering a a piece of good, you know, widget, widget A or widget B. 
And so I have to now somehow get in front of that customer directly because I want to get them to my website. Ultimately, I want to own that customer, meaning at least their data. Yeah. And so there, there are ways to stay compliant with Amazon rules and actually then migrate that customer from, let's call it the Amazon platform to your own. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more challenging. But I think, I think if you think about it from a perspective of like, hey, I have no money, arbitrage or even wholesaling, is, is definitely an interesting kind of way to kind of grow. The platform though now really has a lot of levers in the sense like you have to understand the sell-through. You actually have to understand like if you are not, if it's not your brand, mm -hmm. how many other people are selling that product and at what price yeah. and where you truly are going to make money on that product and, and where you're not, like how much compression in price can you see? Yeah. Because most of the time you're looking at history, historical data. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. And you need to, a lot of times, piece in a lot of different pieces in the history to get the full picture. Mm -hmm. But if you're starting from ground zero and you are the only brand, you obviously, you know, you know that you can have it. In terms of like, hey, should I get into a cash flow? Should I get a business, uh, build a brand? I, I would say like one of the few times I would always say like, oh, you know what? If you want a cash flow, this is, makes a lot of sense. Is A, if you're just going to use it to fund other things, i.e. Yeah. other your physical product business or real estate investing or whatever else you want to do. But the other way is, is like if you have a niche and you have access to something that the average person just doesn't, I'm going to throw out a niche. And let's say you are someone who works in, you're a dentist or you work in a dentist's office or you something to that effect. Mm -hmm. You may have the ability to buy dental equipment that your average person doesn't even know where to go, doesn't have a contact of how to buy like the tools that they use mm -hmm. and dispose of or whatever the heck they do, right? And that may be like, I don't even know, but it may be a super niche thing that people are looking for, if not on Amazon, maybe even on eBay yeah. and something to that net effect. And now you have like an advantage, right? You have a differentiating factor. You may be able to buy it a cheaper, who knows what, right? And in that case, I'd say, hey, like, why not make excess cash flow from that? You know, if you're a professor in a college and you have access to all your students' old textbooks, like at the mm -hmm. end of every semester, offer to buy it from them, like 90 cents on the, the face value or something like whatever, you can research that market pretty quickly and you have a strong flow. Whereas most of the other sellers who are selling textbooks are out hunting textbooks where you could just like basically say, hey, five extra points on your, your grade. I don't know if you could do this, not like giving legal advice or ethical yeah, advice, but yeah. like maybe there's some kind of lever that you could pull to kind of get your students to sell you the book at the end or something like that, you know? You know and so again, you have like a, a leg up advantage that may give you some kind of cool lever that nobody else has. So, so you just rattled off two really interesting businesses that I would have never even thought. Do you, do you have any kind of frameworks that you sort of look at 
you know, look at your own market, your own life, or that you offer other people that they can use to sort of identify, you know, hey, you know what, there, there might be something here that I've never even, you know, I've never thought of. Like, what do I, what do I have in my own life that I could potentially capitalize on? Have you ever thought of anything that way? Are there any? Yeah. So it's funny in, in, um, in the course, the future fund, future fund me, what we did was we were trying to show people how they can even like start, like I always use Parkinson's law as, as a really good example, regardless of what you want to apply it to. So Parkinson's law basically says that however much time or space I give something, it will fill it. Mm-hmm. And so to, to make that more you know practical is if, um, if someone calls you Matt and says, okay, whatever project I want you to do, you normally say it takes you three weeks to get it done. Yeah. And the client says, well, I can give you two weeks. You, you now have a choice, right? Can you get it done in two weeks and jam it in? Or are you going to pass on the client, right? And so, you, you know, if you're like, okay, I want the client, they're going to pay me a premium, blah, blah, blah. I'll do it. I'll, I'll jam it into two weeks, even though it really should take me three weeks, right? Yeah. So Parkinson's law is basically what's saying that you're going to find, it only, you only had two weeks of space or that time, and you're going to jam it in and get it done. Same with like, you know, the people who procrastinate their, their schoolwork and they have a report, they have a month to do it, and they end up doing it like in the last two days or whatever yeah, it is, right. right? So it's the same with money in the sense that like, if you tell me you, you spend $5,000 a month and you only make $5,000 a month, so you have no money left over to invest, I kind of like would reverse engineer that and say, okay, listen, I'm going to take away 10% of your money. I'm going to skim it off the top which is kind of a little bit like how 401k thesis came about, but again, not going to yeah. go too far off that path. But right. if I say to you, now you only have $4,500 a month to live off of, you're going to make it work. You're going to find places to shave, carve, do whatever it is. And it's not about the latte you're cutting out your coffee. It's more that you're probably wasting things that you don't even realize. And so now you have $500 a month to invest. And so the next thing we did in the course was, we, one of the things I should say was that we talked about was finding that first dollar to deploy, even outside of Parkinson's law. And so we gave like different ideas of ways people can generate extra money that they didn't even know lying around. So the first thing I tell people is like, especially if you've never used eBay, Amazon, you know, uh, Etsy or Mercati or any of these, these platforms, kind of test it out, just learn it. Even Facebook marketplace, you'd be shocked at what you could sell, like what people will pay you, right? Like I remember eBay used to advertise on New York city on the trains. And it was like, kind of like uh, your junk is someone else's treasure. I think that was like one of their taglines back in the day. And so it's the same thing. Like a, you'll learn the process. You'll understand like how things sell and, and move. If you just kind of sell excess things around your house and it'll generate some money, but B the framework I generally think about is like, what is something that like, I know, like, or use and how widely known, like, and used is it? And that will kind of like define, like, is it like mass adoption, right? Like, am I using Procter and Gamble's bounty and their Crest toothpaste, or am I using something kind of like niche that a lot of people don't necessarily know yet. And maybe there's like crazy demand for this niche weird thing. So I'll give you an example, like Trader Joe's, right? So it's a regional grocery. I use it in loose terms, but like it's a regional store, right? Like you you don't, you can't get Trader Joe's in every state. Yeah. And so now the market's kind of compressed, but on Amazon, there was demand for Trader Joe's in states that people don't have access to it. Oh yeah. So people go into Trader Joe's literally buy. So this was arbitrage, right? Like you go into Trader Joe's, you buy it for whatever, and you sell it at a markup on, on Amazon. Now, granted, these markets have changed, but like think along those lines. So the, the framework that I would tell people is like, okay, think about things that you have that maybe somebody else has. Like there's um, Myers and Ollie's. These are like Midwest type of like closeout kind of stores, like where we as like big lots are more national. 
again, these are places that you can kind of find things that not everybody else can find that people don't have always have access to. So I, I think there's always things. It, it's funny because like when I started on on Amazon, even fulfillment by Amazon, I actually was selling like toothpaste and things of like that nature because really? yeah. So what and I was making great margins partially because in the beginning, like there were a lot of things I was doing. I was stacking like coupons and what have you, but this was like early, early days. But one of the things I, I thought about the way I thought about from a framework perspective is like, okay, if I'm selling you a leaf blower or a lawnmower, probability says you won't buy another one for three years, maybe five years, mm-hmm. but you probably buy toothpaste every 90 days or so. And so when I translate that into, okay, what do I want to sell? I want something like consumable-ish, you know, like reusable consumable that is going to get replenished, right? So a replenishable item is a huge demand. Now, granted, like if you look at these companies that sell this stuff, right? Like the margins may be tighter, but they're going to make it up on volume. Same with the grocery store, right? Like they're, the yeah. margins stink, but they're making it up on volume. Yeah. And so like thinking about businesses, like outside of physical product, like Amazon or Shopify, like if you look at some of the interesting business models are, if you look at Amazon and you look at Costco and you're like, Hey, where do they make their money? So Amazon charges $120 for prime. And it's kind of like, once you pay that money, you'd never not pay it again, but like, it's kind of like, whatever. So that drops like whatever, a billion dollars of cash into Amazon's coffers every year. And if you look at Costco, they actually, they don't break out the numbers anymore, but they used to break it out in their annual earnings, but more or less, they run the product, the physical product side of the business. They run at like a 12 to 15% on average, 13% margin, which the way they explain it is that pays for rent. It pays for salaries. It, it keeps the lights on. And so we basically try and break even on the product. And then we sell 65 to $120 memberships to people. And that's where all, I, I, I want to say like a good 50 to 70% of the profit margin of the business comes yeah. from that. And then you have like the, the travel and the glasses and the, and the, you know, car parts and the gas. And then that just kind of adds to the bottom line as well. So customer positive, super positive customer experience. I can't live without this thing. Right. So Costco and Amazon both do that. They sell it in a recurring revenue model to themselves at where they make a ton of profit. And then they give you the great customer experience. Now, obviously Costco does it in bulk. So you want, you feel like you want to be buying more and more and more and more, but ultimately like the profit is from the recurring revenue side that you feel you can't live without this thing. So going back to the initial question of like, Hey, physical product, I want to find things that people are like, Hey, I want to keep using and I almost can't live without type of thing, or I consume it. So I need to come back and get more of it. Yeah. And, and so, so you're looking at a consumable market. Uh, Would you say that you with that mindset, are there any consumable type markets that you would stay away from? And, and obviously there's probably, I guess there's, there's a, there's an element to obviously cost there, right? You know, is, is it a market that everyone can afford that everyone, you know, is using this, or is this again, more of a niche type thing that, you know, rather than a, a, you know, 10 or $12 a month price tag, it's a, you know, $5,000 a month price tag, it's still consumable, but, you know, maybe it's a much smaller market that, you know, is consuming whatever that is. So yeah. any, any thoughts there? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different thoughts actually there. So I do think in general, like high-end goods, right? So, so 10, 20 years ago, the, the consumer packaged good, the CPG industry is so different than it is today because we have this sector that never never existed called DTC, right? Direct to consumer. Yeah. And the Procter and Gamble's of the world are fighting off brands that like didn't exist 
10, 20 years ago. And not only are they fighting them off, they, these guys don't have to spend $50 million on advertising. They go on a platform, they run a bunch of Facebook ads, they sell on Amazon, whatever it is, and they're competing up against their Crest toothpaste now, right? Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things is like, if you want to play niche or you want to really serve the customer well, price point is important. And I generally don't want to be a low cost provider. So things that we do sell in the consumer packaged goods and that we've made ourselves, we actually try and be at a higher price point. We're not looking to be the low cost provider. We want you to have a positive experience. We want to say that the ingredients are better or however we made it, our, our process is better. And therefore that speaks to our avatar. And then at the same time, I will say like when even looking at the arbitrage markets, when you stay high end, you generally keep people out because what tends to happen is like, if I say to you, okay, you can spend $10 and make $10, right? So it's an ROI of hundred percent. Sounds pretty yeah. sexy. Yeah. But if I tell you like, it's going to cost you a hundred dollars, but you're going to make $50. You're like, that's yeah, a 50% ROI, but I only have to sell one versus you selling five, right? Because I'm making $50 on the hundred. Yeah. I'm actually making more cash. Now, granted for me, I have to come up with a hundred dollars of, for my cost of goods, but it's going, it's going to keep the low end guy out because it's going to be pretty prohi prohibitive because he can only buy one for his hundred dollars versus buying 10. He's more attracted to this shiny object of hundred percent ROI and get 10 of them. And I'm like, okay, listen, if I can, if I can make 50 bucks a pop, I don't care because yeah. I can, I only have to sell a couple of these and I'm going to outpace you type of thing. So that that's one. And in terms of markets to stay away from. So I don't, I generally advise people like, you know, um, vitamins and supplements and nutraceuticals is a crazy competitive space. Like if you have some real advantage or you have like, Hey, this is going to be for this customer. And this is, I'm going to solve this problem. And I really know I'm not talking you out of it, but just know that the, com the competition in that space is massive. And, and therefore like you're going to go up from an advertising cost. It's going to be massive. It's also going to, there's going to be manufacturing costs. You have to test it. You have to do this, do that. Probably partners with a manufacturer who's done this before, who can kind of give you like a pretty big lead time. But if you could take something and focus it on a niche, meaning uh, I'm just trying to think like, like take pets, right? There's pet vitamin, there's pet, this is, but maybe you're, and I, I'm not a pet expert by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even have a dog, but like, let's say dogs really had anxiety and you had something that could calm the dog's anxiety. That would probably be like an interesting niche. Now there may be already this product out there, but my point is that you're, you're playing in a broad, big market that there's huge demand for. Now you've kind of found a very specific problem and you can find some unique thing. And instead of it having maybe CBD, it has, I don't know, some other natural ingredient that people are more receptive to putting in their dog. I have no idea, but yeah, yeah. you know, that kind of thought process. So, so it sounds like you're, you're, you're basically saying that, you know, find products that are going to need to be replenished, you know, as frequently as possible. And you want to, you know, create more of a premium level premium feel to that. What would be some some techniques or, or strategies that you can use to create that premium feel? And you know, is it is it you know just creating a story? Is it you know packaging all of the above? I mean, what 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 are some of those things that you can you know maybe take you know an everyday thing and make it feel more premium? You know, without really even necessarily having to do all that terribly much. And I don't, you know, I don't know yeah. if there's a product like that, but I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I think those are, I think those, that's a great question. I think those are great examples, right? So I think it can be feel, 
So let's, let's use Apple as an example, right? Like if you buy an Apple iPhone or an iPad, right? Like even a MacBook, right? Like the, the, that, that almost like to get the box open, right? Like ever yeah. get that, like it, yeah. the, the suction, right? And then like the, you know, the little plastic, it's so minimalist, but so high feel, high touch type of feel, right? Like you feel like it's, it feels good, right? Like, yeah. or if you were to, if you look at some of the, you know, high-end brands, I'm sure a lot of people aren't like going out buying Rolexes and things, things of this nature. But if you are like, look at how they package it. Look at that mm -hmm. feel. So the packaging matters. Like you, I'm, I'm not telling people to waste all this money on the front end, but if you're like, hey, listen, we want it to have a high-end feel, those are things that people do pay a premium versus me throwing a whole bunch of, you know, of your doggy treats in a Ziploc bag versus the packaging has that smooth matte feel to it. And it's a resealable Ziploc type of, you know, package. There's, there's you know, pros and cons to that. So that that's one example in terms of like the, the touch and the feel. I think the messaging and the story is huge, right? Like, I've, I've seen so many really good examples and there's so many great books now out on this, you know, like story brand is one of these, you know, Donald, Donald Miller's story brand is a really good one, but then there's um, stories that stick. Kendra Hall is another one. And I think the, the one I'm blanking on, that's really, really good. It's not like a, a natural business book is like story. Uh, oh, I'll have to remember it and tell you, but it, he really, these, there's like story, like tell-offs, almost like stand-up comedy, but they're stand-up stories. And uh, he, it's a slam the story slams. And he talks about like, think about where you put the emphasis in these things. And it's kind of like, Hey, if I, if I brought you a baseball, you know, a, a major league baseball and I, and I gave it to you as a gift and it, it was kind of like, Hey, it came in a Rawlings, you know, Rawlings box. And it was, it was new. You'd be like, Oh, thanks. And you're like, you know, whatever, it probably is 10, 15 bucks in the store. Great. You know, I could have picked that up whatever. But if I, if I take that ball, right. And I scuff it up and I, and I say, Hey, you know, I caught this. It was a foul ball from D Derek Jeter or, you know, you know, you know, it was a Cleveland uh, player or whatever it is. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like, holy cow, like the intrinsic value there just like spiked because yeah. like because the, story, the story and, and I could give you like a great story. Like, you know, it was the home run that won the game, whatever it is. And obviously I'm not going to make up a lie, but telling that story just went that I took a 10, $15 baseball and I made it worth a couple hundred bucks too, you know, or priceless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. Like with that product, like there's, there's a, a brand that I advise and they, it's a, a kid's probiotic mm -hmm. and it does a great job and it's a live culture. So it's not like you, it's not a pill and all these different things. And the product's really good, but the story not only is so good that she was like, Hey, this is my story. The mom, she actually wrote a kid's book and had it um, illustrated called the good buggies. And I think the book is called like Bella and the good buggies because okay. it's, the story of like how she came about this problem, how she came about the solution for her own child. And this is how you can get your child to like take this probiotic more because what is the solution it solves? And it's like a way better story than if it's like, Hey, yeah, I got this probiotic and it works really well. You yeah. Know? So it's, so, so she, she had a good story. She had, you know, a product that, you know, maybe she, she manufactured and she created, I guess, other material to be able to support her story to be able to you know deliver that in a in a different way that's yeah that's interesting what are what are some of the things that you have seen people make mistakes you know maybe maybe they might come to you and say hey i've got this idea i've got you know i'm trying to do this what have you what are do you have anything that comes to mind that are sort of common mistakes that people seem to come to you a lot about or or you know seem to be complaining a lot about and you have good success with solving for them 
Yeah. So problem mistake number one that too many people make is they put too much money in that first product run, mm -hmm. right? Like don't take your last five or $10,000 and just dump it into a product before you actually know, like test, you know, so let's just make something up and they say, okay, I have this product widget a, and I really think it's going to be the greatest solution, blah, 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 blah. And it'll cost me $10 to manufacture if I, if I order a hundred of them, mm -hmm. but if I order a thousand of them, it's going to only cost me like $7. So think about the savings. And I'm like, yeah, no, order right. the hundred, test it out, see how it works. Like I almost can say like, if you're going to build like your own real business, like I would almost say, build the audience first, like create a Facebook group, get email addresses, do a lot of things, hype the product, not any hypey way, but almost like tell the story, showcase the process that you're going through of, oh my goodness, I did this. Like, and even talk about the mistakes you made. Like, oh, we ordered it in beige and it came in in cream and we thought this was going to be a disaster. What do you think? Right. And people would be like, oh, it's okay. I still like it or whatever it is. Right. And bring people along for the journey. And you'd be shocked at like how, how much, you know, demand there will be behind this, this group of people who have like, they've lived it with you. Right. Like yeah. they, they feel connection to both the story, the product, the solution, all these different things. And that's why like, you don't need, you know, a million people to buy things. Right? Like if you have a, a, a niche or you have a following, whether it's on one of the social media platforms or you create a group or whatever it is, and you have like a thousand people, a thousand people is a lot of people. I mean, think about like, if you were talking to an audience of a thousand people, like how big that room would actually be, right? Like, and if you have a hundred of those people who, who raise their hand and say, I'm really, really interested, I'm going to buy, you're, you're going to do really, really well. Because if you deliver what you say you're going to deliver and people have the experience that they have, whether a product service doesn't matter they're going to talk about it. And especially if they're in a community of a thousand people and 10% of them tried it and they really like it, you know, and they leave reviews and all these different things. And you have testimonials. Like a lot of times I was always like anti, like, Oh, the social proof of the thing. So, you know, take a picture of this. Take a... But the reality is, is like, it sells, it works. Like if you go and you look on Amazon with products, with reviews versus the competitor that has no reviews, you're probably going to be more inclined to buy the product with the reviews simply because there's social proof. There are other people who've said, yeah. I've tried it, I've liked it, I've used it. Yeah, and, and any advice for people who may be just getting started where they, they have an idea, maybe they have a product, but they don't necessarily, and they've identified, which actually that's a whole other thing too, is identifying your avatar, of identifying your user, but maybe they've identified their user, but they don't necessarily have a following of any of those users. Any, any advice on you know, how to attract, especially you know, just grassroots, you know, first starting out, you know, maybe you have a few samples or, you know, 10, 15, 20 of whatever the product is, you know, getting that in front of those people and, and, you know, being able to, I guess, uh, identify how they respond or react to whatever your product might be. Any, any thoughts on launching that or getting that started? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it, but I would say like, if, if you have already said like, this is what I want, this is how it is. And I know how it works. And you can even have samples. You can uh, leverage other people's audiences in many different ways. So meaning like if you are a part of a Facebook group that is in that category, you can talk about first and foremost, always add value, right? Like don't go in and try and sell things. But yeah. like if you can be active in that group and start helping people solve their problem and it doesn't have to be, here's my, here's my product, this solves your problem. But it's like, 
well, I think you need dandelion root in your diet. And people are like, how am I going to get that in my diet? Like, and you'd be like, well, you know, what, what we did for my kid was like, we used to, you know, melt down some chocolate and then we'd pour the dandelion root in and we'd, we'd, we'd mix it all together and we'd let it chill overnight. And then we had this chocolate that had dandelion. People are like, oh, that's so great. Oh, 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 so how long did it take you? And you'd be like, oh, I took this, took that. And then and then you can be like, oh, you know, by the way, we kind of, we also, you know, we now manufacture that if you want or like whatever it is. So that's a, like you can kind of add value and get people in there. Or you can even just say to the person like, hey, you want to try this? I have it, you know, free. I'll send you a sample, that type of thing. Or then lastly is again, leveraging other people's audience. I have, I have a sneaking suspicion that there's probably, and it doesn't have to be a massive influencer, but a micro influencer in the space you are solving that problem for who would potentially do some sort of partnership with you, whether it was a paid partnership, whether it was an affiliate, like, Hey, give me a piece of this or something like that. Maybe yeah. it's an equity deal in the company type of thing, but there are a lot of creative solutions when you have nothing to, to start from a, an audience perspective. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah, this is, this is fantastic. If, if people want to learn more about you from you, with you, what would be the best <laughs> way to, to reach out and get in touch and, and learn more or uh, yeah, get, no, get in touch? Yeah, so I I am um, I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is uh, Arya, the businessman on Instagram. Futurefundme.com is that course I had had mentioned. I have a podcast where I kind of talk business in general, also called Inside Lines. Then, and then you know I'm on all the social media platforms, but that's the, that's pretty. My name is generally on all the other platforms, just Arya Shineby. I love it. I love it, Arya. Thank you for uh, for being on the show, and this is uh, this is fantastic. I think this is going to help a lot of people. So many, many. My thanks. pleasure. All right, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.